0: Jesus, in this moment, we just ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would see you, that we would trust you. And God, in this moment, I just just pray that you would give us eyes to see ourselves clearly. God, that you would give us an ability just to see what are the things that distract us? What are the things that pull us away from you? Jesus, in this moment, we just take those things, whatever they are, and we just say, Jesus, please help us. Just invite you to do that, just in your own mind, in this moment, just whatever those things are that distract, that pull you away from the presence of Jesus, just to give those over to God, just say, God, here you go, help me. Jesus, we want to worship you with all that we are. God, will you help us in this moment to build our lives around your goodness, around your love, that we may be a people that trust forever in who you are and your promises to us. In the glorious name of in the good and powerful and glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's wonderful to see you guys this morning. If you're new, visiting, checking us out, my name is Tony. Uh, glad to be here with you. I want to give a shout out to Luke and his fam. They came down here. Luke's a good friend of mine. Amy and John are uh, celebrating, I think it's their 25th wedding anniversary. Uh, So, Luke and the Haythorps have filled in today, super excited to have them here. They have a wonderful uh, YWAM ministry, they lead a base up in San Jose, just awesome, awesome stuff God is doing through them. If you want to hear cool stories, talk to Luke, he's just seeing God work and move in awesome ways. All right, this morning what I want to do is a little different beginning. Uh, I want to take a second, actually I want to invite Jeannie up here. Uh, So, come on up, give her a round of applause. She doesn't know what's happening. So one of the things that happened. So two years ago, if you're not familiar with our story, our family moved all the way down here uh, to do a like replant. You can come up right here, that way everyone can see you. For our uh, to do a replant in this church, and it was a huge risk for our family. Um, and Jeannie decided she'd come in here. You know, I I sort of was up here a lot. We're married. This is my wife. For those of you who don't know, yeah, I'm not giving her a mic though, otherwise she'll just keep going. I'm just kidding. She, um, but we came down here, she took this huge risk and she led our kids' ministry, got it off the ground, and it's just an unbelievable sort of willingness to serve and love our kids in this place. Um, and I just wanted to take a moment this morning, Jeannie's actually going to be transitioning out of that role. She'll still be here and leading things, and Trish Crawl is going to come into that position, uh, which is exciting and fun. But I just wanted to take a moment just to celebrate and honor Jeannie's sacrifice. Sometimes as a pastor's wife, you're sort of like, there's a presumption that you're just going to sort of do all these things. And I just wanted to take a moment just to say that what you have done in this place is beautiful. And we have we have some uh, just a little thank you, kids, and the grateful for the ways that you have laid down your life in this place for the kids, and we treasure the kids here, and it's really because of you that. Even this, this plant even happened. Um, so just super grateful for the time and energy you have spent. Um, yeah. Can we pray for you real quick? Absolutely. There we go. See if I can do it without crying too much. <laughs> God, I am just so grateful for Jeannie and the ways that she has stewarded uh, the children's ministry in this place. God, it is such a beautiful gift and offering. And looking back two years ago, I remember there were some Sundays where our kids were the only ones there. And God, we have just seen as you have just blessed all that Jeannie has done in this place. From helping with room decor, to running the kids ministry, to a thousand other things that none of us will ever know. And God, we just pray that you would bless her and guide her, that you would just shine your love upon her, that she would know what a precious gift she is in this place. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 <laughs> ah. Sort of detail-wise on this, <laughs> um, so sort of detail-wise in that if you're a detail-oriented person. Uh, the detail there is Jeannie's going to be transitioning out of this place or out of this role in the next few weeks. Uh, Trish Kroll is going to fill in. We're super excited for Trish. And we'll, she's going to start on the 16th of June. She's going to be out of the country for a few weeks. But uh, we'll pray and bless and sort of encourage her in. But we just wanted, I wanted to surprise Jeannie uh, just because it's a huge thing. Uh, to lay down your life for a church plant in the way that she has. Just wanted to recognize that. All right. Back to, uh, back to sort of the normal flow. I need to sort of collect myself. All right, so we're in a series. The series is called Cultural Conversations. The point of this series is this. There's a, pre- oh yeah, kids. Sorry, I'm totally like thrown off. If you're a kid and you want to hang out with other kids, go over there. Welcome to Wellspring, there you go. <laughs> Told you I was thrown off, there we go. All right, so this is our last, last week in this series, uh, and the, the presumption, the under, undergirding question of this series is, you know, if you're hanging out of your house at a dinner party or grabbing dinner with someone or meeting someone at a and a topic comes up, What would Jesus have to say about it, right? And there's all kinds of topics going on in our culture. And if you look at the New Testament, we are literally asked to be ambassadors. Now, if you're at NPS and you like are actually going to be in an embassy, you know what this is all about, right? As an ambassador, you speak on behalf of the government, right? You represent the government in that place. Paul says that we are ambassadors of the kingdom. And so then when we get into a particular place in the world, whether it's at your house or at work, and a topic comes up, and they say, hey, what would Jesus have to say about that? We are sort of encouraged to actually have a response. So what we've been doing over the last few weeks is looking at sort of cultural trends, right? We looked at Marie Kondo. We looked at uh, last week. We looked at superhero movies. We looked at mindfulness. And this week, we're going to lean into uh, keto, CrossFit, and Spartan races, Now, if you're at all familiar with any of those topics, you know that it is going to be impossible for me to really go through all of those topics. And so what really this message is, is sort of leaning into what would Jesus have to say about particular trends in food and fitness in our cultural moment? Now, this message is going to progress in three parts. Part one is going to be like intro to food and fitness, uh, and then the life Part two is, what would Jesus affirm in those trends? Uh, And then what might he challenge? Let's start with sort of intro comments. All right. Food. Food in our culture is actually pretty fascinating. I want to start with a quick just test. So when was the last time you used the word cheat in a sentence? When was the last time you used the word good in a sentence? or bad, like I'm bad, most likely all three of them you used in relationship to food. Oh, I cheated yesterday. I, I, you know, I was bad. I ate that brownie. Or I was good, and I didn't eat it. Right? This is actually the way we are using cheat, good, and bad in our cultural moment. Pretty fascinating, actually. There's this guy named uh, David Zoll. He wrote this book called Seculosity. And what he says is that we have moved in our cultural moment the moralism of the bedroom into the kitchen. And if you think about it, it's interesting. When we talk about food, we don't say healthy or unhealthy. We say we were good or we were bad. We've actually taken language about right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness, and put it into the way we eat. Even think about it when you get into, like, fasting. Post on Instagram. Fasting used to be something done by monks and gurus. Now it's something we sort of post on Instagram, like, oh yeah, I'm cleansing. Right? One, uh, what is it, cayenne lemonade at a time. In exercise, something also is really interesting that is happening. In 2012, there was a Pew survey What they found in this survey is that uh, basically a fifth of the United States are now uh, what identify as nuns. And the nuns are people who don't affiliate religiously. And what they say is basically a third of those folks are connected to, uh, are basically millennials. So a fifth of the country is nun, a third of them are millennials. And what they find Right now, as they've tried to figure out, okay, so where are those people finding meaning, belonging, a sense of connection? Some of the religious rituals that were used to be found in church, where are people finding it? Where are they finding it? In the gym. You see, time and time again, all of these studies correlate, particularly among millennials, that the church has now become the gym. You see it time and time again. CrossFit is like one of the sort of poster childs, but also soul cycle, if you've heard about that. Fascinating moves happening in our culture. And you go and if you do a comparison on Sunday morning, you go to L.A., you go to New York, you go to San Francisco, and you go and visit the parking lots of churches and gyms, you will find with almost 100% certainty that the church parking lot is no longer full and the gyms are Packed. Again, Zoll says this in his book, Seculosity. Sunday mornings no longer present a toss-up between church and the gym. The gym now is church for many, many people. In the culture, there's also this push towards extreme exercise. I don't know when the last time you've sort of, if you ever looked into Spartan races but I remember the first time I heard about it, right, they have legs. And particularly in the early branding, this was a, there's a barbed wire section. And in the early branding, it was connected to electricity, right? So then you had this sort of, you're going to go through mud, there's barbed wire and electricity. You're like, this is interesting. <laughs> and yet, Spartan races are huge, though they've decreased some of the electrical components, just so you know, full disclosure. The truth is, you know, I'm not speaking into these topics actually from someone who's like totally disconnected from them. For a lot of my life, I have been connected to fitness and because of fitness, eating. So I've shared a number of times how like I've explored triathlon stuff. I've done some ultra marathon stuff. And I've made this joke. They're like Asians that uh, I used to be really into weightlifting and everyone always laughs, right? They're like, you? No way. Well, this is a picture of me from high school. Can you flick the uh, Jackson? Can you nah, well, probably the yeah, that's close enough. Maybe hit those other ones. Can we get that? You have to go to the other panel. Never mind. That's me on the right. Can you see that? Can you see? This this people are gonna be able to see better. So I weighed about, I don't can they see, can you guys see that? All right. So I weighed about 50 pounds more in this picture. Um now, you can't really see it. We need to kick those lights. They're on the other side. There you go. There you go. Thanks, Luke. There you go. But the point is, right, when I was in high school, super into weightlifting, uh, I was really focused on fitness. And the point of this sort of topic, and for me personally, is that I have spent all this time and energy and sort of learned from God through this process about like eating, about fitness. And I thought maybe we could take some time this morning and say, what might Jesus say into our cultural moment? What might he affirm? And what might he challenge in the way that we relate to food and fitness in our cultural moment? I think if Jesus went to a, you know, was at a firm, the fur house, and food and fitness came up, I think there's two things in particular that he would affirm. The first is this. I think he would affirm the focus in our culture, and particularly in fitness and food, that the body matters. Mark Labernon, he's the president of Fuller Theological Seminary, wrote in his essay entitled Home, he said this. We are physical, spiritual beings with bodies in places. Right? We cannot connect to God outside of our body. Right? When Jesus chose, when God chose to create us, he didn't create us as disembodied souls floating so that we could relate to each other and to God. He made us embodied beings. We actually cannot connect to God in any other way. Go back to the creation stories. Right? What do we see? God forms all things. He creates all things. And on day six, he makes cows. He also makes human beings. Right? He makes us in his image. Then we get to chapter 2 and 3. What do we see? God forms this garden. And in this garden, he creates humankind, Adam and Eve. And in the story, it says he grabs some dirt and he breathes into the dirt. And the dirt becomes a living creature. And so often we think, well, really what's happening here is, God, the body is like an envelope and our soul is like a letter. So really, you just throw away at all. What really matters is the letter. But that's actually not what Genesis 2, 7 says at all. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Right. So God takes dirt, breathes into it, and then the dirt becomes alive. God forms embodied creatures. It's interesting, Adam. Adam is derived, right? We know that name. It's derived from Adamah which is the Hebrew word for topsoil and dirt. God creates an earth creature. Augustine says that we are the earth you carry, or the earth we carry. Tim Mackey's up in Portland. He has this great line. He says, we are earthlings. Right? That's the definition of what happens in Genesis 2. God forms embodied creatures out of dirt. What does it mean? Well, it means that we cannot disconnect our spiritual lives from our embodiment. We cannot connect our worship from our bodies. Mark Labberton again, president of Fuller says this, we cannot for a moment know what it means to be a human being without knowing that it means to live, it means living as matter in matter. There is no human spiritual life that is not lived as embodied life. First Corinthians, God make us, he made us as beings with bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? In the Old Testament, what do we see? God lives in a tabernacle. Then he lives in a temple. And then in the New Testament, what does he do? He lives within our physical bodies. God, throughout the Scriptures, dwells in physicalities. Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. That our bodies are intimately connected to our relationship with God. This has tons of implications. First, Jesus tells us to love our neighbor. But have you ever tried to love your neighbor when you haven't slept very much? How well does that go? Not very well, right? You're grumpy. Right? You don't sleep, you're grumpy. Why? Because your body needs rest. Or in our culture, we call it hangry, right? When you haven't eaten enough and then you try and love your neighbor and what do you do? You're angry and you're grumpy. There is this intimate connection between our physical bodies and our spiritual lives and what it means to follow Jesus. The body matters. React. so Jesus Makes sense, right? you got to avoid the things that make your body react so that you can love God and your neighbor, right? Makes sense that we would avoid foods that we are allergic to. Jesus once was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he goes to Deuteronomy 6, 5, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And he's not saying just those three things. He's saying, with all of who you are, love God. And this can't be divorced from the bodies that he made. So I think Jesus would start, if he was in this conversation, by affirming the body. It's created good. I think, though, he would also affirm, right, food restraint and body movement. Let's sort of lean into that a bit. So in our food and fitness culture, right, there is basically no food discipline or uh, fitness fad, that doesn't involve some form of discipline, food restraint. Hey there, coming up to join me? She got a word for us. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty fun up here. I get it. When it comes to food, there's almost always in every one of our cultural trends, whether it's keto or some Michael Pollan. There's always a moment where we need to exercise food restraint. And I think Jesus would night. Right, like in my life, where I see it the most, is at night. And if I'm feeling anxious, right, rather than dealing with my anxiety, rather than actually feeling it, I actually eat. I don't know if any of you are like this. So rather than feel emotion, I will then go to the fridge. And I will try and actually satisfy that emotion by eating some, generally a sweet. My preference is ice cream. And... What I'll do is I'll eat and then I'll go back, let's say, to watching TV or something. And then if I start to feel that anxiety rising again, I'll do another lap. And I'll basically do that lap until I no longer feel any of that anxiety. Maybe you relate to that, maybe you don't. But I think Jesus would push towards food restraint. And for me in that moment, what it allows me to do is actually process my anxiety with God rather than escaping into the fridge. You know, keto talks about food restraint all the time. Michael Pollan, I love his thing. He says this, eat real food, mostly vegetables, not too much. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. In the New Testament, we see is that Jesus and his followers, Jesus says to them, hey, you know what you should do when you pray? Why don't you ask for daily bread? Just ask for what you need, the food you need today. Relationship to food. Jesus presumes fasting in the spiritual life, one's relationship to food. He presumes it. In the sermon on the mount, Matthew 6, he doesn't say, "Hey, if you get a chance to fast." He says, "When you fast." Right? Jesus actually presumes that our relationship to food in particular, there should be moments of actually intentional self-restraint in order to connect with God. Now this makes sense. If you're a Hebrew you've grown up trying to understand the law. And in the Hebrew commandments, there's this intimate connection between food and faithfulness. It's called eating kosher. Right, a huge part of the Jewish relationship to God is defined in the relationship to food. On the other hand, I think Jesus would also affirm in our cultural moment sort of this idea of moving our bodies. If you think about it, Jesus doesn't say one word about exercise in all of the Gospels. He doesn't say one thing. But, with that said, if you were journeying with us for the last year through the Gospel of John, Jesus makes multiple trips to Jerusalem from Galilee. Guess how long that is? 84 miles each way. So Jesus is on a regular basis hiking 84 miles or 168 on a regular basis. And if you read the Gospels, he's walking everywhere. It's like, oh, and then he went to place. So he doesn't immediately went here. Apparently, he's a fast walker. And so he's going all over the place. So he doesn't say anything about moving your body because everyone in his culture is. And There's actually tons of studies on the connection between uh, our body movement and our mental health. Harvard put out this study uh, a few years ago about the connection between moving our bodies, exercise, and how it actually can operate as an antidepressant. That particularly at low-grade depression, exercise can almost be as good as medication, sometimes better. University of Georgia put out a study. They did did this thing on people that were suffering from fatigue, and they had them do low-impact exercise. And they saw that with low-impact exercise, fatigue went down 65%. So what do we see? Exercise not only is sort of fun, if you like it, or hate you know, maybe you hate it, but it helps us with our mental health. right? It helps us with our energy. I think sometimes we underestimate the centrality of the body in the spiritual life. Now, I do think Jesus would sort of focus on, hey, it it makes a difference. Our bodies matter and major parts of our food restraint. And I think he would talk about movement. But I think he would challenge some major parts of our cultural moment when it comes to food and fitness as well. I think he would start with this. Hey, life is more than the body. He would certainly affirm the goodness of the body, but I think he would challenge some of the centrality that our culture puts on the body. And the New Testament it's really interesting, right? Because you have this move from a Hebrew culture where food and faithfulness are intimately connected into the Greek world. And you start to see actually all of these conversations in the New Testament around food and faithfulness. All kinds. Let me read a couple. So Paul writes to the Romans, and this is a Jewish and a Greek congregation. He says to them this, Romans 14, 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. The food is important, but the work of God is so much more. To the Corinthians, he says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 10, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That the work of God in the world and the glory of God are so much more important than the specifics of what we eat. Paul says also in 1 Corinthians 8.8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we cheat, nor better off if we do. Right? Cheat, be good, (laughs) be bad with your food. It will not commend you to God. Now with that said, I do think there are some ways that we can change our eating to address justice issues in the world. And that maybe is then aligning with, oh, God is doing something here, and we're going to align with his work, his heart for justice or compassion. And if we can adjust our eating to align with God's heart in the world, awesome, do it. And if we have allergies, right, certainly take them seriously. Don't just be like, well, it's all about the glory of God. No, no, no. You are not going to be able to do the work of God or bring glory to God if you are crumbled in a heap on the corner because you can, your stomach hurts or you are not feeling good. Allergies matter, and they're intimately connected to how we love our neighbor and worship God. Now, a lot of this teaching in the in Paul's letters comes from Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. Mark seven is a good example. So there's all these guys that are saying, well, shouldn't we eat this or do that? What about washing hands? And Jesus says this, Mark 7, 18. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters his heart, does, enters not his heart, but it goes in, is expelled. Right, so he's saying, hey, what matters way more is not what goes in, whether you're doing keto or something else. What matters way more is what comes out of you. And then Jesus has this list. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man or woman, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So Jesus is saying, sure, pay attention to your bodies. Pay attention to what you eat. But it's way more important to pay attention to the work of God And your heart, because out of your heart is what flows all kinds of evil. And I think the same thing might be said for fitness as much as food, right? In this historical context, right, Jesus is walking a lot. He's doing all kinds of movement. And then when we transition, right, the gospel transitions into the Greek world, there's actually some uh, words that are written about exercise because the gymnasium, right, is Greek. And in all these major Greek cities, there's all kinds of gyms. So Paul writes to Timothy, he says this. 1 Timothy 4.8, For while bodily more energy, it's value. Hey, it's good, right? It helps you helps with your mental health. It'll give you a little more energy. It's, it's got some value. Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Sure pay attention to food. Pay attention to exercise. It's good for you. But let's keep it in its place, I think Jesus would say. It cannot be the center of our spiritual lives. It's of some value. Being transformed into the image of Jesus is of ultimate value. And this is why Jesus or Paul writes in Romans 12:1, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Your bodies not just your spirit, not just your emotions, not just your mental health for that day. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Right As embodied beings, one of the ways that we worship God is by offering all of who we are to him. Including, but not limited to, our bodies. Which I think brings me to the second point. I think Jesus would fundamentally challenge in our cultural moment, the connection between body image and self-worth. There is a, a really, I think, I mean, I'll use some strong words, like satanic, demonic, really oppressive stuff going on in our culture when it comes to body and self-worth one of the things often in our cultural moment is when it comes to food and fitness, often one of the reasons that we actually get involved and get really involved is out of a place of insecurity. Right? Because we walk around and every day we see all these images of people that are incredibly beautiful. Right? We see these images and it's like God or like the, the culture takes these incredibly genetically awesome people that work out all the time and are in great shape. And then they're photoshopped and then we see these photoshopped images of these people and we think, oh, in order to be lovable, I have to look like that and it's impossible. I remember in high school, like I used to go to the gym all the time, right? I would spend two or three hours there and often it was out of this place of insecurity, I wanted to be stronger than the other people around me because I was afraid, right, that if I wasn't strong enough, how I would look or feel. And I remember it was this sort of impossible experience. The stronger I got, the more I saw someone who was strong kind of shift whoever I compare myself to them. Or the more fit I got, I would then just kind of shift whoever I compared myself to. And so it was this impossible experience of never-ending feeling of inadequacy. Right, and then, then I adopted these postures. So then I wouldn't go hang out with my friends. They would go and grab pizza and I wouldn't go because it didn't fit in my eating plan. Right? And they would go hang out and do these things and I wouldn't go because I needed to get my workout in. And it really impacted my connection to community. I think there's two primary ways that we respond to our cultural moment when it comes to body image and when it comes to self-worth, one is that we sort of enter on the treadmill and we never stop. And we are just relentlessly trying to measure up to an impossible ideal. Or two, we end up just kind of caving into patterns of self-hatred and self-condemnation, just like, oh, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to look a certain way. It is incredibly destructive. As I was praying this morning, I think sometimes we have this picture of Jesus, and he's like kind and nice, and when we have a picture of love that's like all gentle, and as I was sort of praying and listening, I felt like there's moments where I think Jesus would be like, no, like this is wrong, and I think he would push in, not like, hey, I think we should challenge this. He'd be like, this is fundamentally wrong that connecting our body image and our self-worth is fundamentally from the pit of hell. There's this story in the book of Samuel. Samuel is looking for the next king of Israel. And he goes to Bethlehem and he sees David's family and he sees some of his older brothers and he's like, whoa, these guys are big and strong and tall. And God says to Samuel in this moment, he says this, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Right, which then goes back to Mark 7. What does Jesus care about? He cares about our heart and what is flowing out of it? Right? This is true from Samuel all the way through the New Testament. God cares way more about what is going on in our heart than what our bodies look like. Cultural moment. We get... I think sometimes you know, we lose sight of that in our cultural moment. We get swept up by the lies of what our body needs to look at. And we think that our worth is connected to what our bodies look like. There's this uh, phrase in this, this Bible that we read to our kids. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And this is how it defines God's love. It says, God loves you with a never giving up, never stopping, unbreaking, always and forever love. Hear that for a second. I think most of us bring some kind of insecurity when it comes to our bodies. And we wonder whether we are lovable. We wonder about our own self-worth. And I think Jesus wants to say to us in this moment that he loves us with a never giving up, a never stopping, unbreaking, always and forever love. Our culture may tell us that we are not enough. Jesus says that he loves us and he demonstrates that love by getting on the form of a body dying for us. He demonstrates that love by taking on human form, the form of a body in order to love us in the midst of our brokenness. Now if I was going to give us a couple suggestions, a couple tips on like what does it look like to actually take the heart of this message, right, that Jesus affirms our embodiment, that he encourages some sort of restraint and movement, that he challenges, hey, life is more than the body, but he also fundamentally and with power challenges this connection between body image and our worth. If I was going to give two tips, I think the first would be this, and I think this is something we don't do enough of. I think we should take some time this week, maybe take half an hour, and just discern What is God's invitation to you when it comes to food and fitness? When it comes to moving your body and what you eat? What would it look like to take a few minutes and say, Jesus, hey, can you just speak into my life? I want to worship you with all of my am. I want to love my neighbor well. How does that connect to how I move my body? And how does that connect to what I eat? You know, I think some of us were like, oh, what? That's not a quiet time. It's like, no, no, no right our body is connected to our worship two the second thing would be this i think we are in desperate need as a and that we believe to identify the lies that we believe about ourselves and that we believe about god i think we need to take some time as a church body as individuals and just say god what are the lies i believe about myself Maybe that I think I'm unlovable. Maybe I think that something is fundamentally wrong with me. And God, that maybe we've, we've even wondered whether God doesn't actually love us as we are. And be taking some time to identify those lies and just lay them at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I give these to you. Help me to see myself with your eyes with a loving posture of a loving father that cares about you more than you could think or imagine. What if you took 20, 30 minutes this week and just, all right, God, you know, I'm, I'm believing, I'm watching these, my Instagram feed or my Facebook feed or seeing on the TV all these people and I feel cruddy about myself. God, help me to see myself as you see me. One of the deeper convictions of the gospel is expressed in Romans 5.8. It says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this. Christ died for us. That Jesus never waited for us to be perfect. He never waited for us to do everything right. Instead, he took on human form, moved into the neighborhood to rescue us to restore us, to heal us, before we got our act together. That's as true when it comes to our bodies, as our emotions, as our minds, as our deepest convictions. Jesus moves in the neighborhood and illustrates his love for us, his profound, never giving up, unbreakable, never ending love. To help lean into that this morning, I invite the worship team up. I want to celebrate communion this morning as a way to remember the love of Jesus in our midst on the night Jesus night before his death he met with his disciples in a room in an upper room of a little villa and as he was eating with them he took bread And he gave thanks for it and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. This is my blood. The the wine at the table and he said, gave thanks for it and he said, this is my blood. This is shed for you so that sin may be forgiven. Jesus gave himself for us. He gave himself for you and me because he loves us. Not because we had our act together, not because we are the most beautiful people in the world or the smartest, but because of his love for us. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to have a number of people up here serving communion. And the invitation this morning is If you want to receive that love, if you want to know that never-ending, never-giving-up kind of love, I invite you to come forward as an expression of, yes, Jesus, I receive your word of affirmation. I receive that you love me, even if I struggle to love myself. And when you come up here, there's going to be a person handing it to you, and they're going to say, the blood of Jesus body of Jesus. And you're going to have an opportunity to receive that into your physical of God's, the physical bread going into your physical body as an expression of God's acceptance and embrace of you as an embodied being. And one of the reasons we stand up and we come up forward rather than just taking it in our seats as a way of saying, you know what, we are gonna actually have to put Jesus at the center of our lives. So part of that is standing up and moving together as not only individuals, but as a whole body saying, you know, Jesus, we're gonna put you at the center. We're gonna come towards you. So if you're serving communion, please come up and grab one of these guys. Let me pray for us as we start. And just feel free to come forward as you're you're ready. Jesus, we praise and worship you for the good and loving God that you are. We say you are holy. Say you are loving. You are kind. And in this moment, we ask that you would draw near to us. God, you would heal us of the ways that we have just seen ourselves and you poorly. God, you would redeem and renew us that we may, in the name of Jesus, we pray all of who we are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, i am tasted and seen, are the sweetest of loves. When my heart becomes free. And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere you glory God is what our hearts long for to be overcome by Your presence, Lord. Your presence. Nothing worth more. There's nothing worth more. There's nothing worth more. That will ever come close Nothing can compare You're living hope, Your presence, Lord and I've tasted and seen the sweetest of love becomes free and my shame is undone let's all stand and lift it high your presence Lord come Holy Spirit Holy Spirit you are welcome come here come flood this place and feel the air What our hearts long for To be overcome By your presence Sing Holy Spirit oh. Come flood you are welcome here Come from this place And feel the atmosphere Your glory God is what our hearts long and to be overcome by Your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of Your presence, let us experience let us become more aware of your presence. Let us see. Jesus
0: spirit to speak to us now in particular just to those places within us that need healing that need words of encouragement we just we just pray God that you would speak that we would be a people that are defined by your voice and not the voice of this culture people that would hear your voice and be shaped by the voice of a loving Father. Not a voice that condemns. Not a voice that undermines or shames. So God, we just pray that you would speak to us. Spirit, that you would lean into us and heal. God, we want to be a people who worship you with all of who we are. So God, would you speak and lead and guide us that we may hear your voice and know what does it look like to offer our bodies as living...